0: 18%, 18% of almost 60 million, there was an increase. And then in 2020, uh, January, so a little over a year ago, they put out another report that said one in every three people, not a certain demographic, but one in every three people were diagnosed and medicated for some sort of anxiety disorder. Now, I didn't put in Uh, 2020 to 2021 because of COVID and I thought it would have skewed our vision of of what I was trying to portray to us this morning but they released another one this last January so eight weeks ago that they said two-thirds of Americans two-thirds of Americans have been diagnosed that's just diagnosed cases Now, I'm not here to talk to you about secular psychology, and if you'd like to have a conversation with me, I would love to chat with you about secular psychology and where I think it's wrong. But I think these numbers are not lying to us. These are stats about where people are at in our culture. People who don't have hope. People who have anxiety. People who worry. Clearly, anxiety is a problem in our culture. Clearly. So what are we going to do about it? What do we as individuals do about anxiety in our life, in the lives, of the, the lives of the people around us? I want us to look at a passage of scripture this morning that speaks to exactly what Jesus himself said about anxiety. And so if you would turn with me in your Bibles or turn your Bibles on and go to Matthew, the book of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter Six And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 25 here in just a moment. So Matthew is now here writing about Jesus' interaction, and Jesus is speaking, just a little context here. Jesus is speaking to uh, the Jewish people the Jewish culture, the Jewish nation, he's, he's having a conversation with, with them and his disciples. And he picks up in verse 25, and he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now I want to stop right there. That word anxious comes from the Greek word meromneo, which means to be encapsulated by something, to be taken over, to be troubled within. That's what the word anxious or worry means. Some versions say worry. Some versions say anxiety, but they actually come from the same root word, merimneo. And it's used 19 times in the New Testament. It's the same exact word for the word in Philippians 4 when Paul tells the believers, be anxious for nothing or do not worry about. It's the same exact word. And so this morning I'm going to use the word worry a lot. So just track with me here. So he picks back up and he says, don't, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then he's like, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But look how he closes out this section, and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And this is God's word for us today. God, I just come to you right now, Lord, and I just ask that you would use me as your mouthpiece in this place this morning. God, I pray that the people in here that are struggling with anxiety and and worry, God, that they would hear your truth, that they would be ministered to this morning as as the truth goes forth. God, I pray that we would not push aside the, the fact of having anxiety or worry, especially the men in here this morning. God, I pray that we would see that every single person has worries and fears, but how do we handle that? And so God, use this truth this morning, in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. This morning, I want us to look at some reasons why worry is worthless. Why is worry worthless? So the first one I want to give to you this morning is that worry is unreasonable. Let's look back to verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Worry is unreasonable because we worry about the wrong things. You guys agree with that? We worry about the wrong things. We worry about substance that's not even going to matter in a few weeks or a month from now. And we also worry about things that we cannot change. And if we can't change it, then who cares? And if we can change it, then how come we haven't started to? Think about that. If we can change it, then how come we're not changing it? And if we can't, who cares? If we can't change it, who cares? I I think back to over a year ago when when the, the coronavirus started to cause places to get locked down. And I remember having a conversation in our previous church, and all of the, the pastors and the leadership team were sitting down, and you know we came to this, this section of the, the agenda, and we began to, to discuss what, we, we, what we were we going to do about keeping the church open? How can we still minister to people when they're trying to box us in? And I remember sitting in that conversation, and I had this thought, you know, God um, knew that this was coming he was not caught off guard by COVID-19, okay? And if you're in here and you're like, God was caught off guard or he didn't know, or then I'd love to have a conversation with you because God is sovereign. That means God knew what was coming. He has knowledge of that. I do not, okay? I did not know it was coming. But here's the thing. God did not tell us because coronavirus came that we just stop having church, Okay? God did not give the church leaders the word of God so that it could be shut up because there's a virus that's spreading, okay? And so for those of you who are online, I want to be as respectful as possible, but you need community. You need to be in the church building. You need to come back. I want you to come back. I want to get to know you. And if you're scared, please, please, Please come and I'd love to talk to you. And for those of you who are in here right now, you need to keep coming because you need community. God called us to assemble together. These are things that we can change, okay? There are things that are also in this that are outside of our hands, okay? So just think about that with me as we're going through this. We often worry, though, about things that are beyond our control. Why? Because we believe that worry is actually a form of control, but it's not. We, we think that we're controlling the situation by, by making it become bigger in our mind. Um, is there anyone in here that is like me in this, uh, that someone will give you a look from across the room, or they'll say something in general um, in, in the context of a conversation, And you believe that it's directed at you, right? And you begin to play that scenario over and over and over in your head. And you begin to have an argument with yourself, right? And you're like, she's going to say this, and I'm going to say this because she said that, and then I'm going to say this because they said... Anyone? Right? I'm like that, right? And and then you, you get to this place where you are so aggravated, and you are so frustrated, and you're angry, and you're hurt, and you begin to think that everybody is just out to get me, Right? When, guess what? They probably were not even looking at you. They were probably not even talking about you. And you just made that up in your brain. That's worry. Worry is unreasonable. The second thing I want us to see this morning is that worry is unnatural. Worry is unnatural. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they are arrayed like one of these. Sorry, neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Human beings are the only creation in the universe that experiences this type of anxiety cows do not have anxiety okay horses do not wake up one morning and they're like am i going to get hay today like that's not how humans the only part of creation that has this type of worry are humans birds do not think am i going to have enough to live on when i wake up jesus is like look look at the birds they're not worried are, are you not of more valuable than they? I take care of them. You don't believe I'll take care of you? And then he's like, just just this, this wildflower right here. It's, it's magnificent. The, the lily of the field. God's like, look at their beauty. Just the way that they are. They don't they don't have to put on makeup for me. They don't, they don't have to get fancy. For me, they're they're not worried about their appearance. Now, now some of you um, do not go away and say the pastor said that I didn't have to shower. <laughs> okay, do not go away and say the pastor said I don't have to wear deodorant. Okay, you need to do those things, and if you're a teenager in here, please do those things. <laughs> okay, but but the flowers—they're they're not worried. God's like, all of my creation trusts me except humans, except humans. People think, well, I was born a worrier. Anybody have that thought before? I was just born a worrier and I'm always going to be a worrier. Yeah, that's not true. Worry is learned. Worry is a learned behavior. We learn it by watching other people worry. That was not instilled in you god did not create you to be a worrier it's unnatural worry is also unhelpful verse 27 says "And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life well what does that mean jesus is like worry is useless it's worthless nothing can change when we worry Worry cannot make us live longer. It cannot add anything to your life. It's like investing energy into something that's doing nothing. I was having a conversation with my uh, youngest sibling, and uh, I was talking to her about, about this topic several months ago, I believe. And she, she had read something that was in the realm of worry, um, and, and she's like, I gotta, I gotta send this over to you, and it was just this little quote, I don't remember where it came from, if it was from a book or from something, but it went like this, worry is like rocking in a rocking chair, it gives you something to do, but you don't go anywhere, I was like, that's perfect, that's perfect, listen, the only thing that worry does is make us miserable, that's it, worry cannot change anything in your past, worry cannot control the future, if it, could, if it can't change the past and it can't control the future, what does it do except for mess up today? That's what it does. It messes up the present for us. It ruins what we have right in front of us and it zaps the strength and energy right out of our body. That's why the writer of Proverbs said, the anxious heart weighs down a man. The anxious heart weighs down a man. You start to worry about this one thing over here, and then you become discouraged. And that discouragement leads to depression, and that depression leads to despair. And just like we talked about two weeks ago, what happens in our despair? We've, we've gotten to a place where we've forgotten truth. We have to remember that truth. Our bodies were not designed to worry, to be anxious. Proverbs 11 30 says that a heart at peace gives life to the body. A heart at peace. Worry is unhelpful. The next thing I want us to see is that worry is unnecessary. Worry is unnecessary. Verse 30 says, but if God so closed the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Whenever I have the opportunity to share my testimony, there's always a piece that I like to leave out because I'm ashamed. There's this piece that bothers me. And so I hide it, and I I keep it tucked away out of some inverted pride, because I want people to like me. And it's on this very topic. When I was a child, um, when I was a child, probably around the age of 10 or 11, um, I I began to experience anxiety in my life. I began to worry about unimportant and illegitimate things. I was a child, and I worried about things like, where's our next meal going to come from? And what happens if my dad's car breaks down and he can't get to work? How are the bills going to get paid? What happens if something happens to one of my sister's? What happens if my parents go away on a date and they don't come home and I've got to take care of my siblings? What happens? And I'm a child and I remember laying awake at night and I could not sleep because I was analyzing every single thing that happened. Everything that occurred in that day and everything that was to come. And I remember coming to this place where my parents began to see the physical ramifications of my anxiety. And my fingers started to swell up and I would get uncontrollable nosebleeds and I would become lightheaded. And they had to take me to the doctor. And I remember going as a kid and I had to explain these things to this doctor who's sitting before me and I felt like a fool. I felt like I was stupid for the things that I was experiencing in my life. And I remember they had to place me on medication because my anxiety caused my blood pressure to be so high. As a child, I could have had a heart attack. And I remember being on, they placed me on an anti-anxiety and a depression medication. And like I talked to you about two weeks ago, and why I firmly believe that medicine deadens things and it does not give us hope, that medicine altered who I was. I became like a zombie, and yet at the same time was experiencing thoughts of now suicide. As a ten and eleven year old child, like how can I make this end? And I remember this went on for a couple of years, and, um, and I just felt like I was trapped. I could, couldn't get away like I was being suffocated inside. Even on medication, that's how I felt. And in the midst of those years, leading up to that point, I was attempting to control every aspect of my life. I was trying to assume the role that was that of my parents or that of other people, and it was illegitimate. It was an illegitimate position I was placing myself in. Why? Because worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended for us to have. Never. Every time we worry, we're placing ourselves in the position of God. Think about that. You're saying it all depends on me and it doesn't. Verse 30, I want to read that again. It says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God takes care of his creation that's temporary. Temporary. Will he not take much more care of us? Will he? Will he? How much value do you have? Think about that. How much value do you have in the eyes of God? We have great value. If you're in here this morning and you're struggling, you have great value in the eyes of God. God formed us and knew us in our mother's womb. Do you know that we are the only part of God's creation that got His image? The flowers do not have God's image. My dog does not have God's image. I do because I'm His son. And you do as humans because that's the way God created you. You have His image. And if you're still struggling with that, look at the cross. Look at that cross. We are not junk We are not worthless. Your value is high to God. You're worth enough for him to send his son to die on the cross, to give each one of us and those online a way to become his son and daughter. That's how much he values you. But you want to know where our struggle is? We often misunderstand the goodness of God. We do. Psalm 145.9 tells us that the Lord is good and he has compassion on all that he has made. You know what that word all is in Hebrew and Greek? All. It means everything. Everything. And for us, worry should be a warning sign in our life. It should be the yellow flashing caution light saying to us, I'm forgetting how good God is and I'm forgetting that He promises to take care of me. For we in this room that are believers, you stepped across the line when you prayed and cried out to God to save you. And God moved you from from just creation to child and he took care of the biggest question that we should worry about in our life and that's eternity and so if you're a child of God in this place this morning if God took care of your soul for eternity how come we cannot trust him with the small things how come The next thing I want us to see this morning is that worry is unbelief. Worry is unbelief. Verse 31 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Do you know that worry is doubting God? Do you understand that? That worry is doubting God? Worry is the subtle insinuation that God is either unable or unwilling to see to your welfare. I'm going to say that again. Worry is the subtle insinuation that God is either unable or unwilling to see to your welfare. Do you know Philippians 4.19 says that God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory? His, not mine, not yours, not theirs, his. Many people are not trusting God for what they need. What they need. And you know where that change comes from? Where the starting point for trusting God what we need? Humility. Humility, that's where that starts. Saying God is God and I am not. When we understand that God is God and we are not, something happens. All of a sudden, the worry begins to drain out of your body. I want you to look back with me real quick though. Look back halfway through verse 32. It says, your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows it. That's a beautiful phrase. How many times do we act like God doesn't know? Anybody? We act like God doesn't know. And we worry. And then we begin to act like God because we begin to take his place again and we start depending upon ourselves. And then we assume that we have it figured out instead of just going and trusting in those moments. Again, we've attempted to become the role of God in our life. The thing is, is that we were not created to be little g gods, we were created to worship and image the God. I'm going to say that again. We were not created to be little g gods. We were created to worship and image the God. I just want to make sure you guys were alive in here this morning. (laughs) Worry is unbelief. But there's something else that we do need to see here this morning. Is that worry, it's unavoidable apart from God. It's unavoidable. Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. I need you guys to listen to me for just a moment and if you do not get anything else that I have said here today, walk away with this very thought that verse that I just read to you, the Gentiles seek after these things. I told you that Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience in this passage right here, in this very moment. And I have read commentary after commentary this week, and I have listened to sermon after sermon after podcast on this very topic leading up to this. And you want to know that I have found very disturbing the very fact that pastors all over the world utilize this very verse right here to say that Jesus was partial only to Jews. That's messed up. There is a separation that is being talked about here, but it has nothing at all to do with ethnicity and race. God has called us to bring hope and light and be grace-filled and merciful to all people not just the whites, not just the blacks or the Hispanics, all people. It does not matter where they're at in life. It does not matter what they've gone through. It does not matter what they have seen or what they have experienced. We are to bring hope to all people. All people. You want to know the separation that Jesus is talking about here? It's those who are believers and non-believers. That's what he's saying. Yeah, he's talking to the Jews and he's speaking about the Gentiles, but he's saying here, the Gentiles don't know me. They don't have hope and yet they worry and they're anxious about these things. And I want you to know right now where I stand. We as a church are here to minister to our community and it does not matter where they come from. I need you to know that we are here to make an impact in our community for God's kingdom, not the well's. There's a separation, a relational separation. There are those who are completely and utterly overwhelmed by anxiety because they don't know the one who brings peace. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you're the one who silences fear. Worry is not a new problem being anxious is a human problem and because of that it feels intensely personal and it can even feel that no one else understands what you're experiencing or what you've gone through but we're not the first people to experience it and we won't be the last There's going to be a couple of verses that come onto the screen, and I want us to look at David here for just a moment. David says in Psalm 56, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All the day long an attacker oppresses me, and my enemy tramples on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. David is saying, God, my enemies are coming to kill me. And in in his anxiety, he feels powerless. Why? Because anxiety can be paralyzing. But David doesn't stop there. If you go back and read chapter 56, David goes on to the next two verses, and they're going to come to the screen, and they say this, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. He says, in God, whose words I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Why? Because what can flesh do to me? David changed his focus from what was making him afraid to the God he trusts. Like that. In an instant. His circumstance had not changed. His focus Changed. We talked about that two weeks ago about remembering truth in despair. Why? Why did Matthew write this? But seek ye first in verse 33 but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. They'll be given to you. So, what do we do? What do we do in our anxiety? What do we do in our worry? Well, focus on an unchanging God. Focus on, it's simplistic, people. Focus on an unchanging God. I love you. I want to pick my story back up. We're now several years into medication My family picked up and we moved to Florida. My life is in this downward spiral. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't want to take my life. I'm halfway through my junior year of high school, and our family, and I don't hold any resentment towards my parents in any way, shape, or form for this, but they picked us up in the middle of my halfway through my junior year in high school, and I was going to a new school. I'm like, I have to make friends again? Like, I don't want to do this. We moved like 26 times when I was a child. And on top of that, I'm already in a mess. And so we go. And I'm not the person that, um, this is different now because of Christ in me, but I was not the person who made friends easily. Um, I'm a scary guy. Um, I, I just kind of give off that vibe, especially when I was in high school and I was the guy who was like an all black and I had spikes on my belt. And don't judge me. I see some of you guys are looking up here like, <laughs> this is our pastor? <sighs> but I remember coming, coming to this new school and it was just like immediately I wanted to set this, this precedence before my new peers that like I'm the untouchable one. And so, like, I could just look at people, and they would be afraid of me. And, and all the while, I was just pain. Was, I was just painting inside. That was it. I didn't have friends. And I, I needed friends. I, I needed someone that I could go to, and I could say, like, listen, I'm struggling with this, and I don't know what to do. Well, there came this, this point um, where I talked with my parents, and I was older, and I I wanted to just be free, and I was like, hopefully, you know, I can come off the medication, and I'll just be able to live my life, and it'll all be okay. Wrong. We got, I got off the medication, and everything was fine for like a week, and then all of a sudden, everything just came flooding back in, all of it. It was just flooding, overwhelming. I was just older with other things to worry about, And I remember that immediately I wanted to run back to the medication because at least I felt dead and I didn't think about it. I wanted to run back to the substance. I wanted to run back to the thing that that took away my life. And I remember sitting in church and I did not even want to be in church. I grew up in a Christian home and I had been a part of churches that were detrimental to my relationship with the Lord because they spoke condemnation. And I show up to this church with my mom and dad and I did not even want to walk in. Why? Because our family was the youngest people there. No offense, I love senior citizens. I'm in a different place, okay? So those of you who are in that category, I love you. And I will cherish our friendship. Those of you online watching, I'm not a bad person. I was a teenager. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. But I remember coming in church and I did not even want to be there. And this was the type of church and I'm not, there's not anything wrong in what I'm about to say. Like I'm not speaking anything negatively about it. I'm just telling you where I was at, okay? Just trying to be raw with you guys. I walked into this church and like I said, I didn't want to be there because we were the youngest people there. And we sat down, and this is the church where, you know, my grandparents are friends with the pastor, and they've known him for 17 billion years. <laughs> and you walk in, and it's this small little building that's stagnant, and it's, it's dying. And the choir gets up with all four of them, and they sing a song, and they don't have anyone to play the music, and so it's on a track, like it's on a, like a, I, I think they were using CDs. They, they may have been using cassette tapes at that time. I don't remember. But then he would, would, the the choir would get done, and the pastor would step up and, you know, love the man. Um, he's faithful and spoke a lot of truth to me. But he would get up and he'd be like, if that don't let your fire, your wood's wet. And he would stand, like, that's, and then that was my mentality. Like, what did you just say? If that don't let your fire, your wood's wet. Like, can we go somewhere? Like, please. And so I'm in this place where I wanted to run. I did not want to be in tr- I, Listen, I told you, I, just, I was trying to be raw with where I was at. And, and I remember that he opened up that day to a passage of scripture. And so I'm, I'm looking at this whole day already jaded. All of it. I messed up. And I came into church that way. And then God's word began to be spoken. God's word is alive, it's active, and it's forceful. And I don't mean as in to crush people, as it's forceful to crack even the deepest and darkest of chasms in one's life. And he turns to Philippians chapter 4, and I didn't get a chance two weeks ago to share with you one of my life verses be anxious for nothing but in in everything in everything by prayer in supplication or by petitioning let hold on but before he gets there he says with thanksgiving in everything with thanksgiving Let your requests be made known unto God. And it doesn't stop there. Paul goes on to say one of my favorite things in the Bible. When you do this, it says the peace of God that passes all understanding, what does it do? It guards your heart and your mind. But he didn't stop there. He then goes on to say that this happens through Christ. Peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And that's the linchpin for us right there. Christ Jesus. Christ is the linchpin for us. And I began to realize something in that very moment of time that I had invested little to none in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I did not value communion. I did not value... And I don't mean communion like, let's go forward and take the little cup. I mean, I did not value my relationship with God in the private. I did not value opening up God's Word and seeing how I can saturate my mind to be different. I did not value prayer. I didn't even value the pastor who dedicated his life to speaking and teaching God's word. That one day, that one passage of scripture changed something in me. Something was ignited in my spirit. I did not want to stay who I was because that's not who God created me to be. I did not want to stay in all of the ways that people had cast me down and all of the condemnation that was placed on my life. I was not going to live any longer like I was going to be a homosexual. I was not going to live any longer like I was going to dress a certain way and be a certain person because that's not who God created me to be. I was going to walk forward in truth knowing I am a child of God and I've been changed. Why? because I had Christ in me. I was a new creation because I gave my life to the one who died on the cross for everything that I was going to do and what I will still do from this day forward. You want to know what one of my... I'm going to say this a lot. You want to know what one of my other favorite verses is? I have a lot of favorite verses. I just love all of God's word, okay? You want to know what my other favorite verse is? Romans. In Romans, Romans is one of the hardest books for me to read as a believer. But one of my favorite verses in the book of Romans is Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. My life did not have to be that condemned. My life was alive because Christ was in it. Now, you come to me after the service and you're like, pastor, are you still an anxious person? Yes. Yes, I am. I hate that part of my life. I hate that about myself. It's something that I have to die to every single day. Sometimes, moment by moment, I've come to this place where I believe that God allows me to have that thorn in my flesh to remind me that I need to rely on him. That's great, pastor. That's your story. But what about me? I'm going to answer that question for you this morning because it's the same way for me as it is for the next person because God's word doesn't change. And because God's word is faithful and it doesn't return void, I began to see a change in myself, and other people began to say, see a change in me because I began to invest in my relationship with Christ. I began to value my time. I began to understand what it meant to get down on, my, on, the, on, the, on the ground sometimes when my knees were already hurting me just to pray to God and sometimes crying out and just saying, Jesus, Jesus. But I can look back right now where I stand and I can tell you that I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. And I'm not the same person I was 5 years ago and I've been off of medication now for over 15 years and I will never go back because Jesus is the answer for me. And so you may be in here today, and you may be struggling with anxiety. You may be sitting at home right now. And you're like, what do I do? Well, there's three categories of people, and every single person in this building and every single person watching online fall into one of these three categories. What did I tell you just a few minutes ago? That worry, anxiety is unavoidable apart from God. And so you may be in here this morning. You may be watching online right now and guess what? You may not know who Christ is. You may not have a relationship with him. And that may be the answer that you need right now in this place. Is that I need Christ in my life. And if that's you, I want to be able to speak with you. I want to be able to walk through with you. How do you move from just a piece of God's creation to one of God's children, to an heir? How do I receive the righteousness of Christ in my life? That's the first category of people. The second category of people would be where I found myself. Where I had prayed for salvation. I knew what I had done, why I prayed what I did when I was a kid, but I never invested. So I've never grown. Things are stagnant in my life. That's the second group of people. And for you, what you need to do is you need to begin to invest in your relationship with Christ. That's what you need to do. Read your Bible, even when you don't want to, get up and read it anyways pray when you don't want to pray because guess what there are going to be days when you don't want to get up and read the bible i'm just being honest there are going to be days when you don't want to pray there are going to be days when you don't want to be grace-filled and you don't want to show love but guess what go back to god's word allow it to saturate you and you're changed thinking, your actions will be different. Why do you think Paul said that we need to be renewed in our mind in Romans 12? Why? He wasn't saying like, hey, let's crack open this this book over here, and that's how... No, go back to God's Word. So that's the second group of people. And then there's a third group of people in here. And you're like, pastor, I don't worry about anything and I'm good, and I know where to go. I know where, I know, I know. And that's great. There, there may be people in here like that, and that's awesome. And I commend you for that. Keep, keep seeking God. But that's not it. You also need to come alongside of those who are struggling. Those who are in a place of anxiety, and they don't know where to go. That's discipleship, people. We were called to disciple people. We don't get to walk around with our nose stuck in the air like, I'm not a worrier anymore. (laughs) Sorry for that guy. No, God called you to come alongside people. Have the same compassion on the next guy that God gave to you. I may not know exactly what you're walking through, but I can direct you to truth. I can show you what it means in God's word. I can break it down for you. And there better be people in this room that are like, that's me. I'm here. I'm ready to help. I'm ready to help. And I know there are because I've talked to some of them. There's three categories of people and you all fall in one of them. I don't know for you. That's between you and God. But you got to figure it out. Right now, you got to figure it out. I can't force you to come up here and pray for salvation. Sometimes I wish I could drag people because they're being stupid. But I can't because God didn't call me to be the Holy Spirit. God called me to herald truth and then allow the Holy Spirit to work in that person. Maybe right now, in this place, what we we just need is to, to spend a few minutes getting along with God. That may make you uncomfortable. That may make you severely uncomfortable in a room full of a bunch of other sinners. But maybe we just need to get along with God right now. And be like, God, search me. Tell me where I'm at. Be like David. And cry out and say, God, just give it to me raw right now. If I need you, I need to come forward right now. And I I just need someone to tell me how to get saved. How do I not have worry and anxiety in my life anymore? And maybe that's you. And I'm going to stand right down here. And I'm going to ask you guys, please just put on some light music if we've got something up there. Or maybe you just need to get alone with God in your own seat where you're at. And you need to say, God, am I the person that hasn't invested? Am I the person who hasn't given everything to you and that's why I still worry and that's why I'm anxious all the time? Or maybe you need to go to somebody because you know they're struggling and you need to put your arm around them and you need to pray over them and pray with them through their struggle. Maybe it's time to go to a friend. Maybe it's time to come up here and just pray. And if you want to come, I'm going to ask, if, if you want to come and pray at the altar, come to this side if you don't want prayer. And if you want someone to come pray with you, come on to this side so we know. We don't, we don't want to overstep our bounds. We don't want to make people uncomfortable in this place. But we need to get alone with God and we need to find out what's going on in our life and how do we move forward. Because guess What? God has called us to be change agents in our community and we do that by moving forward by honoring the past and looking to what God has for us in the future and that starts with us taking steps of obedience so as your pastor I'm going to be the first one to get here and I'm going to kneel and I'm going to begin to pray for this church and pray for the people who are hurting and if you want to speak with me just tap me on the shoulder and I will get right up and I will talk to you but we need to spend a minute just getting along with God and finding out where we are and then I'll close us in prayer in a few minutes